You are listening to Geek Fest Rants on the IC Robots Radio Network. You have located Geek Fest Rants, the entertainment podcast for genre geeks like you. Shall we play a game? Covering the world of vintage and current film and television since 2010. Game over, man. Game over. Featuring in-depth conversations on sci-fi, horror, fantasy, comics, toys, and conventions. So say we all. So say we all. And now sit back, relax, and enjoy today's show. It's not easy butchering people. It's hard work. Physically and mentally, I don't think people realize you need to vent. You know, there's a lot more like me. Do you think so? 40 years ago, your FBI was founded hunting down John Dillinger. Now, we have extreme violence between strangers. We travel around the country and teach FBI techniques to cops. You guys mind if I bother you for a minute? She was found cuffed and lashed to the bed. What people won't do to each other. There's nothing people won't do. How can we help? We should be using every resource we can, talking to the smartest people we find from the broadest possible spectrum. Are criminals born? Or are they formed? Psychopaths are convinced that there's nothing wrong with them, so these men are virtually impossible to study, yet you have found a way in near-perfect laboratory conditions. Hello, ladies. That's what makes this so exciting and potentially so far-reaching. I can't let these guys rub off on me. The way they view sex. And women. It is not our job to commiserate with these people. It is our job to electrocute them. We can't like everything we do. We're talking to serial killers. Serial killers. New terminology. I'm trying to warn you. Your attitude is going to bite you in the ass. So young to be ruining people's lives. What did you do? You're developing a pattern of behavior that will not sustain you here. Agent Ford, if you leave, I can't help you. There's no procedural rule book for how to talk to these people. If any of this is going to work, we need to talk to more subjects. More! You want truffles? You got to get in the dirt with the pigs. How do we get ahead of crazy if we don't know how crazy thinks? Hi, everybody, and welcome once again to GeekFest Trends. My name is Carlos Perone, and today we're going to do a little television talk and GeekFest Trends talk. By that, I mean I'm going to first go over three television shows that I'm really, really getting into. I really love these shows. I consider them to be the best ones around right now. Uh, You know, some shows come and go, and and sometimes, you know, great shows blow you away, like, you know, The Walking Dead when they first came out, and then it started to kind of fizzle out a little bit. But now uh, I have these three shows that I'm following that are really, really, like, the top of my list of the must-watch, you know, as soon as possible kind of shows. And we're going to talk about them. Then we're going to do a segment about our anniversary, GeekFest Rant's seventh anniversary. We've uh, flown through another (laughs) anniversary a couple of uh, months ago that we completely forgot. And we're going to talk a little bit about it now. The history of the show, where the show's been, how the show has changed. And uh, see if you can tell what sounds different about that particular segment. If you can figure it out early on, great. If not, you know, I'll be telling you as the uh, segment ends why it sounds so different. So let's get started with my favorite television shows. 
Today I want to take a look at some of the best shows, at least according to me, that we have this season. Some of them are returning shows, some of them are brand new shows, but I want to focus on primarily three shows, Mindhunter, Star Trek Discovery, and Stranger Things Season 2. With Mindhunter, I didn't know much about it. I didn't have much of a heads up that it was coming. Maybe I had a two-week, three-week warning. I've seen some trailers here or there or commercials directly from Netflix, which is where the show is currently airing. And just like a typical Netflix show, they drop the entire season in one shot. The season is a, again, typical Netflix type of format, which is about 10 episodes. And this is a format that I believe we've talked about in the past. And that is that, you know, the British model gives you less shows, but better quality, I think. And everybody seems to like that much more because you end up having basically less fat in the show. The show can focus on what it wants to be and not have to feel like it's stretching itself to complete an entire season. I remember in the old days of regular television when you had the reminiscence show, the show where they do the flashbacks to previous episodes and, you know, entire episodes having to do with a, some sort of flashbacky thing. And it's like, wow, it, it was such a cheap kind of gimmick to be, you know, to do that sort of thing. But hey, that's what it used to be in the past when you had you know, something like 22 episodes to come up with, whether you're a half-hour show or a one-hour show. But for Netflix, this seems to be a format that they're kind of settling in and they enjoy it. And to tell you the truth, I do too. The show is Mindhunter. It is executive produced by David Fincher. Now, David Fincher is a type of director that <laughs> initially I had a really bad relationship with in terms of one of his earliest films was Alien 3, which I completely despised both in what the film ended up looking like, which I, I believe there has been, you know, there's been discussion that that might not necessarily have been his fault uh, in terms of back and forth with the studio. The studio wanted one thing, he wanted another thing. He, you know, that kind of like nightmare scenario that you hear from some young directors, you know, when they have to interact with a big studio. However, my biggest gripe about that film is the story. Even if the film looked wonderful and perfectly paced and perfectly worked out, the story itself, the, the jumping off point of that story completely, completely destroys me in terms of saying, nope, sorry, you cannot start a film in that manner. You cannot just flush down the toilet the survivors of the previous film, because this is a franchise, and just say, hey, this is what we're dealing with now. But hey, I've ranted about this for the last, what, 25 years? And I probably will continue to, <laughs> to criticize this film. However, after Alien 3, he has completely uh, redeemed himself as far as I'm concerned. Movies like Seven and Fight Club, Zodiac, The Social Network, the Curious Case of Benjamin Button, his remake of The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, Gone Girl. You know, these are films that he has definitely put his stamp on them in terms of they are his films. There's a couple more out there, but these are the big ones. And 
you know, you feel those films when you watch them and hear them. It's almost like a like a Sorkin written piece, which, as a matter of fact, The Social Network was written by Aaron Sorkin, but it fits so perfectly the Fincher style, this very dark, moody, dirty kind of style of his, you know, particular filmmaking. In this particular case, you know, like I said, he is an executive producer, and he's directed a few of the episodes of Mine Hunter. And just to give you a, a little brief background, Mine Hunter is based on the book Mine Hunter, which is the more or less the history of the FBI's, uh, you know, criminal behaviors unit of tracking down serial killers and that sort of thing, actually getting to know these people and studying them scientifically to figure out what makes them tick and to hopefully prevent future, you know, events like that from taking place. And the show takes place in the 70s, but you, because it's Fincher, you really wouldn't know it that much. They don't do the typical show that wants to bring out the 70s and make you aware it's the 70s, almost like a like a, like a red flag being flown in front of you. But it's there in the background. And it's not very flashy because, again, it's Fincher. Fla Fincher throws this haze over everything he does where it's like the mood is the most important thing in the film in terms of how... No matter when it's taking place, you're going through this filter, this Fincher filter almost. But anyway, the, what the show does and what this particular take on the show based on this book is that it takes two FBI agents who start corroborating on trying to do these interviews with these locked up serial killers. And then they team up with a university professor and she kind of becomes the third member of this team and how they are you know, coming up with all these data and they're starting to see these patterns and they're starting to, to come up with these theories of what makes these people tick. At the same time, as they are interviewing, you know, existing criminals, sprinkled throughout the show, you do have certain crimes that are taking place that they're able to help with because they're applying their new methodology, you know, into these ongoing investigations. Uh, now, it just happens that before these guys are officially what they will eventually become, and that is that specific unit of crime division, one of them was already doing kind of like a, a travel class that he was assigned to just travel throughout the country to show the police department some of the FBI kind of techniques. Granted, they're not to the level that they are like of today, let's say, for example, but he's already involved in sharing his knowledge with the regular local police departments. But now, as this other guy is kind of piggybacking on his travels and learning and developing his own theories, you know, they're able to help them out. And at times, because again, this is the first season of the show, I don't know how long it's going to go, but they are starting to kind of tippy toe into, okay, why don't you try this? So let me look at it from this perspective. So they're applying what they're learning on the road, you know, at times to the, uh, <laughs> to the, to the dismay of, of their own bosses, because the FBI at this point is not fully on board with the type of studies that they're conducting. Little by little, through this series, through this first season, you start to get more cooperation from their bosses and letting them do a little more research and spending a little more money and revisiting some of these people and giving them a little more space to work in. Now, each individual uh, protagonist has their own family and situations that they're dealing with along the way. Uh, you know, the, the, you have the young guy who's very out there and he's coming up with these great ideas, but he's very young. He's got a kind of like a hippy-dippy girlfriend that's on and off. Uh, then you have the older guy who's like a traditional family man and he's having his 
family problems with his son and with his wife and blah, 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 and that sort of thing. And then you have the college professor, and she is having <laughs> her own issues where she's leaving her section, you know, her comfort level to come work with these guys at a completely different area. You know, so you are being, they are rounding off these characters. They're not just stereotypes. They, they, they are giving you fully fleshed characters here. Let's see. The lead investigator, uh, Holden Ford, who's played by Jonathan Groff, he he is a uh, Broadway actor. He's done some movies here and there. He's even done some Disney films. He used to be on Glee, so people might know him from Glee. He was in Frozen. He played Kristoff, and he also played <laughs> the uh, Moose, I believe. <laughs> I don't remember the Moose's name. On Broadway, he had a role. Uh, he played King George in Hamilton. So, you know, this guy's been around for not too long, but he's done some pretty big things. He, I think he had a role in uh, American Sniper. So, yeah, he's done some stuff. And now this is kind of like a, you know, a lead television role for him. So that's a pretty big deal. And he's very good. He's very, 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 very focused on his work to the point where he sometimes kind of shuts out everything else. And he plays good against the, the second guy, played by Bill Trench. His character is Holt. He's the family guy, older, rougher kind of guy. The only thing I remember seeing him, he had a role in Fight Club, believe it or not. So I do remember seeing him from him, but this is, you know, he's much older now. So he's, he's a good age now to play that rougher, tougher type of character. And the third member is Wendy, who is the college professor, let's say. Played by Anna Torv. And as I'm watching this series, I'm like, she looks so familiar. She looks so familiar. She looks so familiar. She, you know, I'm wrecking my head. And then I finally look it up. She was on Fringe. She was the lead on Fringe. She really hasn't been seen much since Fringe. But uh, when you see her here, you're like, yep, that's her. The hair will throw you off, but it's her. Another name you might find recognizable in the credits, in the opening credits, is Charlene Theron. She's also an executive producer. So I don't know how she's connected to this in terms of how she got to be an executive producer. It'd be cool if she has a cameo at some point. You know, that'd be nice. But obviously the show, you know, has to do what they have to do. The best way to describe it is the same manner in which a lot of Fincher films are and Sorkin written material is. Granted, Sorkin didn't write this, but it's the type of thing that when you look at it from afar, it sounds like the most boring thing ever. But when you're watching it, it is the most interesting thing ever. It's really bizarre. When, for example, I saw The Social Network, the idea of a film about how Facebook is created, to me, seemed like the most boring thing in the world. But... When you have these characters interacting with each other and the type of things they're doing, it is just fantastic. And this television series is the same in, in that manner. The subject matter might not seem, especially if you're, I mean, let's say you don't like crime shows. Obviously, this is going to kind of turn you off. But here, the subject matter is so interesting once you're hearing it and once you're seeing how it works and how these guys are coming up with these theories. But the thing about this show that's amazing is the bad guys. The people that they're interviewing, who are based on real-life you know, criminals that are in jail, or some of them might be dead by now, they're getting these actors that are unbelievable. One particular actor, Jonathan Groff, who plays their first or their biggest uh, you know, killer that they're interviewing, he plays him so well. He, I think, almost probably almost steals the show in terms of how good, how meticulous he is. You're talking about... You know, Silence of the Lamb, Anthony Hopkins, Hannibal Lecter type of actors in terms of how they're able to craft their characters. Now, granted, these characters are real, so they're able to 
you know, extrapolate some of their voice patterns and their look and all that stuff from them. But there's three specific ones here, played by Cameron Britton, who plays Kemper. Oh my God, this guy's incredible. I recently watched a video of a side-by-side interview, and I'm, and I'm sure he studied this video. It shows you the actor doing his role, delivering his lines, and the real person being interviewed for some kind of documentary or something. And it is just incredible how he's delivering these lines. And, and what's cool about it is that it's not just an impression. He does add something to it. There's an aura of, I mean, the, the real person is, is giving you these details that are horrific, but the actor is adding this layer of calmness and almost professorial clarity in the manner in which he's describing what he's doing it is super super creepy and you just cannot take your eyes away from him and you almost feel like the characters that are interviewing him they're just fascinated by what this person is saying they're horrified obviously by what they've done but the personality is just something else then you have another actor named happy anderson his name is actually happy who plays another killer uh named brudos Again, a different type of individual. He's huge. He's a big guy. And he's always joking around and being super friendly. And they're explaining to you how this is his thing. He is always hiding under this friendly demeanor and trying to extract whatever he can from you. So they're kind of giving you, you know, how he operates while you're watching him operate. And again, it's one of these characters that they're like just ready to explode. There are other characters too. The other one I remember was played by Jack Ertel, and he played a criminal named Speck. And if you look at the pictures, oh my God, he looks almost exactly like him. And he does have another, completely different than these other two, in the way that he delivers his lines and his mannerisms and his language and his physicalities are unbelievable. Meeting these characters and the way that the actors are portraying them is amazing. I don't know if the real characters are that charismatic. Again, by seeing the uh, the side-by-side interview, you see the similarities, but then you also see how the actor is able to give something more, which is fantastic. I, I think some of these actors could be you know, potential Emmy nominees because they're just so good. And as you're meeting these characters, they also tease you with another guy that is becoming probably getting ready to do something really bad who will later on i imagine be one of the captured ones unless they are involved in the capturing of this other character so they're kind of laying out the groundwork for what the future of the show will be like i would say don't miss it this is just fantastic fantastic work i hope fincher continues to be involved with it he directed like i said a few episodes of it so the show is in good hands. The The rest of the writers and the rest of the directors seem to be following a pretty good, you know, a pretty good pace. The overall executive producer, you know, the show was created by a gentleman named Joe Penhall, who might be probably best known for the film The Road, based on the uh, the book, 2009 film, which was a devastatingly depressing film, just like the book. But, uh, you know, he knows what he's doing. He knows how to create these grim environments. But this is just a great series, and I recommend it too. You know, if you like Fincher, if you like Silence of the Lambs, if you like all of that kind of crime, gritty stuff, this is perfect. It's just a perfect show for you. Second show I want to recommend is Star Trek Discovery. Now, we've talked about this show a little bit before, a couple of episodes ago when they first premiered, and I was pretty surprised that 
how kind of good it felt at first, <laughs> you know. So I'm not going to go too deep into it. We know the premise. It's, you know, the beginning of the Klingon official Cold War, you know, with the Federation. We know that the Klingons are going to be an ongoing kind of bad guys here. You know, they're always trying to do their thing. And, and the Federation is in the middle of a, you know, a Cold War basically with them. I am warming up to the characters more and more. I like the fact that... You know, the captain is not the lead. The And I don't even call her the first, you know, the number one. She's not the uh, lieutenant. Michael is still a prisoner work release type of <laughs> assignment or something like that. You know, she's being allowed to work in this ship as opposed to getting prison time for her being partially responsible for that war that broke out, you know, by killing, you know, some of these Klingons and, and having that interaction with them. There have been a couple of really good episodes having to do with Sarek, and most lately I've seen one with another, I guess, possibly reoccurring character of Mudd. They have, it's kind of like a reoccurring character of Harry Mudd, played by Ryan Wilson, if you remember him from The Office. He plays him so good. Granted, I'm not the biggest expert or fan of the original Harry Mudd. He was kind of like a goofball-y, slapsticky kind of bad guy, I guess. In the original series, you really couldn't take him that serious. Uh, but here, you know, the way that they've introduced him in bits and pieces of previous episodes, they've done a really good job. And this particular last episode that I watched, not the newest one, but the last one I watched, has to do with Mud kind of getting vengeance on the captain of the ship by somehow being able to reset time and have them relive this particular period, this like a half hour, 30 minute period in order for him to to get something. I don't even actually remember what he was trying to get, but the fact that they keep doing it over and over and over was a nice twist on, you know, that sort of an episode. You know, you, when you do have a time travel episode that deals with repeating time over and over again, this time they did a really good take on it and Mud gets his comeuppance in a way that you know that he will show up in the future once again. The other characters are developing very well. The um, science officer, who's a total jerk, is becoming more likable. The alien number one type of character, he's still being fleshed out a little bit more. And I think in the coming episodes, he's getting, you know, more. Michael and, and Sarek, her relationship with Sarek, and we're starting to understand exactly how those two came about being connected the way they are now, and even the fact that Spock is somewhat involved in their relationship, in the way that they have their relationship. We haven't seen Spock, but the fact that, you know, Sarek does have a son. So the visual effects are amazing. The show is overall dark. And again, this is a theme that, you know, I am guilty of liking. I like things that are a little darker. I know I do that with my superhero films, my Marvels and DCs. Even DC is not as good as Marvel a lot of times. I do enjoy their aesthetics more. This particular show does have that. It has an aura of darkness about it that is not clean cut, you know, as it used to be. And I'm really interested in seeing how they're going to progress with it. Again, I still wish it was a normal show that you could watch on TV or even on some standard cable network, let's say, for example. But the fact that it's, you know, it's it's on this all-access channel, I know it's been renewed already, apparently, for a second season, which is great because I love the show, but it's still very difficult to, you know, get your hands on these episodes. 
I would suggest, uh, you know, wait for it to be on DVD, because sooner or later they're going to put these on Blu-rays. I guess when the second season's ready to come out, they're going to do the big usual push they do with most uh, marketing outlets. And just wait for it, because it's very good. I think it's much better, at least so far, than a lot of the previous incarnations and how they at least started off. A lot of them start off kind of clunky. This one, I think, started off very strong. And I hope it continues that way. You know, I know there were there was a lot of controversy about whether or not they could pull it off based on the problems that they had with the, uh, you know, they kept delaying the show and delaying the show. And then the executive producer, I think, or the executive, or the writer bailed out after the first couple of episodes or something like that. So all signs were pointing in the wrong direction. But again, so far, what's being put out there is very good. I just hope they continue with it. The final show I want to talk about is Stranger Things Season 2. Obviously, this isn't a new show. This is the second season of the already existing show. And the show dropped around uh, Halloween time, I believe, with its entire season in one shot like they did before, which is the Netflix way of doing it. I'm not going to get too crazy over the plot because the plot is... It's really not that important to tell you the truth. This is a fun show to watch, partly because of all the references and all the homages, if you will, callbacks to everything else that's sci-fi related, especially, you know, 80s related stuff. But there is a lot of stuff there that has to do with other franchises and other uh, sci-fi, horror type of stuff from different periods, even very current ones. The story itself is a little different the way that the structure this time. The first time they kind of put everybody together and kind of how everybody meshes together. This season, they kind of split everybody apart and they went through their adventure in different manners. You know, some of the kids go in one direction. Some of the kids go in another direction. The adults do something different. Eleven is doing something completely different, you know, trying to find out a little more about her upbringing and where she came from. And eventually, by the end of the show, everybody kind of culminates into the same place, you know, to get your finale. But again... This was just as much fun as the first, the interactions, the mixing up of characters, pairing people up that normally you wouldn't imagine they would work together. They do work. The ongoing love triangle <laughs> between the uh, the older kids. And they even happen to introduce a couple of new characters, very genre-oriented, very 80s themed. So I think the easiest way to um, go over the show uh, is going to go over, I want to go over all of the, or as many as possible of the Easter eggs that they kind of pepper throughout the story and the callbacks that are, you know, associated with this. Right off the bat, we do get the introduction that we are dealing in the Halloween time period. So you do see a lot of decorations and they do linger on these uh, gravestones with like a hand coming out of it. And that is very reminiscent, obviously, of movies like Carrie or the Michael Jackson thriller video, which is the music that they used when they were promoting the show. Uh, I think during Comic-Con, they had a, like a sizzle reel or a, a, a first trailer, I think it was. And uh, they were able to acquire the rights to use Thriller. And it's perfect for that trailer. And that's what that shot, uh, you know, seems to be uh, reminding everybody of. Uh, one of the new characters introduced is another young girl to the group. And because of her video game playing nickname, she signs off as Matt Max on the video game machine that she's using. So obviously that's a Matt Max reference. The game that she plays is Dig Dug, which is a game about digging tunnels and encountering and killing these creatures in the tunnels. So 
that again, you could kind of say, well, that's, uh, th- that, that is matching what is happening in part of the plot. That these new monsters are kind of, you know, digging around under the town, you know, kind of infesting everything and creating these crazy tunnels where the creatures are starting to grow. Another new character in the show is like a conspiracy theorist investigator who is warning, uh, you know, uh, the sheriff of a Russian invasion because of all these weird things that are happening. That's a throwback to the movie Red Dawn where the teacher is uh, warning the kids of a Russian invasion. Just as in the background, the Russians are parachuting into their parking lot. In the school, there is a staged sequence uh, of the kids being bored listening to the teacher and then one specific girl popping her chewing gum bubble. And that was almost shot by shot of Ferris Bueller's Day Off shot, which ironically, very recently before this was released, one of the kids of the show did a Ferris Bueller spoof commercial for I forget what company, but it's like, oh, that's interesting. They're going in that direction. One of the questions asked by Paul Reiser's character to his patient, uh, you know, one of the, one of the kids is, uh, you know, what is your favorite candy, you know, in a desert island, which candy would you take, which is a, it's almost a line by line pickup from Stand By Me, another one of these movies that is heavily credited, you know, with being some of the inspiration for the kind of show we're watching here with the, you know, the relationship between the kids and a huge Stephen King throwback because again, Stephen King books and possibly the movies are also a big inspiration. However, his reply is Reese's Pieces, which kind of throws you in a different direction of the E.T. direction, the Spielberg connection of this show, which is also huge. Now, I mentioned Paul Reiser from Aliens. Uh, Obviously, it's obvious where this guy is from to to people like myself. And later on, we're going to make more connections with this season that is ripped right out of Aliens. We also get a whole bunch of uh, medical examination uh, sequences uh, having to do with Will being tested. Again, he's back at this lab where everything kind of started, now being run by different people and a different doctor, Paul Reiser, like I mentioned before. But a lot of the scenes of him having tests, you know, being done, they're very reminiscent of shots that you might have seen in The Exorcist. There seems to be a lot of callbacks to that. There's a line uh, in the show about Jonathan going home and reading Kurt Vonnegut books, which could be a callback to uh, Footloose, where Kevin Bacon's character apparently uh, says a similar thing. The Aliens connection, man, is this a big one. Not only do we have Paul Reiser, like I mentioned earlier, but there's an entire sequence where... Paul Reiser has these, I guess, government soldiers descend into these tunnels to try to kill these creatures that are starting to grow down there. And they're there with flamethrowers and all kinds, you know, and flashlights and all kinds of stuff. And they have body cameras. And he's kind of monitoring the whole thing from a safe area, let's say. It is almost shot by shot aliens, you know, the, the back and forth and the and like the radar of the creatures approaching and all that kind of stuff. It is perfect. It is so aliens. It's fantastic. There's a couple of close encounter shots that are very similar. The biggest one is probably when I think Will opens the front door and you see all this red light coming through the door shining of this different world that he's looking at. It's just like the shot from uh, Closed Encounters of the little kid who opens the door and there's the (laughs) spaceship outside. There are shots of, uh, I believe, Hopper's uh, car in the woods, in the fog, driving with the lights, and the car stopping at the the edge of a a little cliffy type of area, and that is also very much like uh, E.T., where in the beginning of the film they are chasing, you know... (laughs) the creature in the woods. It is incredible how they were able to kind of duplicate that sort of thing. 
There's a line there with Bob, who is uh, Winona Ryder's uh, new boyfriend, who is played by Sean Astin of the Goonies fame and Lord of the Rings. He mentions something about, you know, he's looking at this map that they're drawing. He's like, what's that X? You know, is that supposed to be where the treasure is, where you can find the treasure or something like that? Um, That's a nod to Goonies. It's right there for everybody to see. And as I'm watching the show, I am catching some of these things. And I'm like, oh, I recognize this. I recognize that. You know, so it's it's kind of weird watching the show because sometimes you get distracted by the references and you kind of you're trying to keep up with the references and find the hidden ones. There's a lot of Ghostbusters related stuff here. The slime on the tree that Hooper touches and tries to get it off looks like the same kind of uh, Ghostbustery type of slime. Eleven, when she's coming out of the wall, she's covered in this slime. Again, very Ghostbusterish-ish. And the kids are all wearing Ghostbuster costumes for Halloween, so we do get a lot of that too. Now, there's also, at one point, Eleven, I think, tries to wear a uh, ghost costume, which could be a callback to either E.T., when E.T. wants to go you know, and not be recognized because that's what she's trying to do. She wants to go out, you know, and come out of this shack that she's been living in, hiding. And it also could be a callback to Halloween of Michael Myers in the ghost costume. But it's I pro- it's probably more of a E.T. nod. Now, speaking of Halloween costumes, there is a Halloween party scene where a lot of kids are wearing costumes, I guess, of that era. And I'll just go through a few of them. There's a guy dressed up as Rocky. There's the uh, Jennifer Beale uh, character from Flashdance. That one's there. There's a Madonna costume. Uh, Cobra Kai from Karate Kid. Uh, Bluto from Animal House. The the older kids, the, the two leads older kids, they're dressed as Tom Cruise and Rebecca DeMortinate from Risky Business. They all have those costumes on. There's a Wonder Woman in the mix. There's a Billie Jean Michael Jackson video guy in the background. There's a Magnum P.I., and there's even a Jason back there. Now, in an earlier sequence, the young girl, the new girl, uh, Matt, Matt Max, uh, she is dressed up as Michael Myers. She's wearing the Michael Myers mask, and she's even hiding behind these hedges, spying on the kids, similar to in the movie, how um, you know you have Michael Myers looking from afar, and then when they go there, he's not there. They have that kind of a shot there, too. Now... As all these stories are going in different directions, Dustin has a creature that they found, and he's kept it, uh, and he's kind of growing it in a fish tank almost, and it is getting kind of out of control, and that entire sequences of the creature getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and he's feeding it, and he's trying to kind of treat it like a pet, well, that is very reminiscent of Gremlins. There's a lot of shots that are very Gremlins-inspired, even how they stage the scenes. Plus the fact that the creature is even scared of sunlight or any kind of light, you know, is part of the the gag going around. Eleven, as I mentioned earlier, she's in a different direction in most of this season. She's trying to kind of find out more about herself and her powers and this and that. And one of the tricks that she uses that she develops in order to explore her powers more is to kind of blindfold herself and to kind of reach out without even being able to see what's happening. And that's very Star Wars-ish in terms of, you know, Luke having to put on the uh, the blinders, uh, the helmet, to be able to act, defend himself without being able to use his eyes. There's a thing that happens when she does go into this kind of trance where she kind of visits another another world, another something. And the setting is is all black with like a wet black floor. That is very reminiscent of the movie Under the Skin, a very current movie that is super, super creepy with Scarlett Johansson. that I think I've talked about it in the past a little bit. It's a very similar setting as that. The cabin where Eleven is living, 
There are many scenes where the cabin resembles the Sam Raimi Evil Dead cabin. You know, from the outside, it looks like it a little bit. <laughs> it looks like it a lot. And even inside, there's a shot where she goes into the basement to find some old papers and stuff. And it's the same shot of, you know, Evil Dead, everybody looking down, you know, that, that opening on the floor. The movie The Terminator is also pretty prevalent here. It's on a movie marquee playing in the, in the local theater. It's on a commercial playing on TV. And there's even a shot of uh, the older kids that end up at the lab and they're kind of being held kind of on detention, let's say. They're being detained. And the, the girl turns around and looks at the camera that's watching her and we can see the camera monitor. And it's very similar to the Michael Bean scene in The Terminator where he's yelling at the camera. Another big influence in, in a lot of these sequences is Indiana Jones, especially the Temple of Doom. All the sequences in Temple of Doom of him going down the caves and, you know, having to hold a, a torch to be able to see what's happening and all the disgusting things that he's stepping on, it is very, very, very much like that. In these caves that Hopper has to go down, there's even the traditional indie grab the hat back before you leave sequence uh, that they added to it. And you do have a sequence where... In Indiana Jones, where a short round has to poke uh, Indy with a, like a hot torch to kind of wake him from this haze, they kind of do something like that too to Will towards the end, where he's, they're trying to drive like the demon uh, you know, out of him, and that kind of helps in reviving him and bringing him back to normal. Another Aliens callback that I forgot to mention, in the movie Aliens, one of the lines, the soldiers, one of them says to each other, stay frosty. Well, here, they have the same sequence where they're about to enter that area, and one soldier tells the other guy to stay frosty, which is, it's obviously such a callback, and it's so cool. The camera that the kids borrow from Bob is a JVC camera, exactly like the camera that you had on Back to the Future. And I remember I saw it in the show, I'm like... That looks just like the Back to the Future camera. It's, a, it's very distinctive. It's a small shoulder-held unit that I believe you could play directly to the TV from it. I think that's the way those work back then. And even in the movie, that's how they do it. And it's a, it has like a reddish kind of color, you know, to the body. That was exactly that same camera. The time that Eleven is away trying to find out more about her mother, you know, and when she hooks up with this gang of somewhat criminals, more or less, but one of them is like an almost like a sister to her that she's kind of learning from. Well, that whole sequence, that whole trip that she takes is very reminiscent of The Empire Strikes Back, Luke going to Dagobah. It's the main character being pulled away from the norm and brought into a completely strange new location where he's learning more about himself and what he's capable of doing. There's a number of scenes where she's trying to practice moving things around, large things. So she's uh, she's moving this this like a uh, cargo container, and as the cargo container starts to slide towards her, it's funny because to me it looks just like, you know, it has the shape of a sand crawler, <laughs> like a Star Wars sand crawler, like a Jawa sand crawler. It's really cool, and there's a lot of shots like that where she's you know she's trying to be stronger, you know, very much like Luke trying to lift the uh, X-wing out of the swamp. You get a lot of stuff like that. And this kind of sister that she meets is kind of like her Yoda. She is teaching her about these things. And obviously, it goes in a different direction for, for this show. But you kind of see the similarities of the master and student kind of relationship forming there. And also similar to Empire Strikes Back, she has a similar situation where in the midst of her training and in the midst of her learning, she realizes that her friends need her. And she kind of has to cut her training short and leave to help her friends which is what happens in the show she kind of says all right enough of this my friends are in trouble i need to go help them and that's what happens 
There's an entire sequence near the end where they're trying to escape the uh, the lab and all these different Demidog, Gorgon, whatever the heck they're called, <laughs> these monsters. They're chasing everybody around, but in order for them to be able to escape, they have to restore power to a certain area, and they can't do it. So Bob volunteers to go and do it because he's somewhat knowledgeable with computers. And the whole sequence is very, very reminiscent of Jurassic Park. Again, not an 80s franchise. This is a property that took place later in the 90s, but there is a lot of that cat and mouse being chased by creatures to be able to activate and you know eventually obviously you know spoiler warning you know poor bob gets it at the end similar to how it happens also at jurassic park with some of those characters even in the same manner there is also somebody pointed out that when hopper visits 11 the the code knock on the door is a morse code signal that spells it or it which could be a reference to again stephen king again in the book it which just happens that very recently the movie had come out and one of the kids from stranger things was in the movie it which is also a a big inspiration for the show because it's about a group of kids trying to solve this mystery it's a little more adult and horrific (laughs) but it's, uh, you know, it's it's very weird that the same kid that's in this show is also in that movie that they're referencing in the show <laughs> back and forth. So, uh, you know, you do get that. And one final one I do want to mention is that Dustin's cat, who, you know, bites the dust uh, at the jaws of uh, the little monster he's growing in his room. The cat, to me, looks just like Jonesy from Alien. It looks that it's that exact color same eyes cat that was in the alien movies i wonder if if that was done on purpose and somebody else pointed out that it could also be a reference to the 80s show alf about the space creature living in your house is always trying to eat the cat (laughs) well in this case the monster that's living in the house ate the cat so that could be another possibility who knows but again this is a great show i would say it's a family show and for us the way that it worked was that because it's very kid-centric in terms of it's a group of kids solving a mystery but the show has a very pg-13-ish and higher up layers of being able to introduce somebody who's not into like scary stuff into something scary because of the the delivery mechanism if you will is the adventures of these kids and the relationship of these kids the girl who plays 11 millie bobby brown she is fantastic in this particular season her emotional range as an actress and again hopefully it won't just be a one-trick pony but there are things in her that you can kind of see she she brings out you know with her pain and with her crying and with her you know suffering and trying to get these memories back and trying to figure out what her life is all about very very emotional stuff and a lot of it is of her acting with hopper you know between those two you know, they, they, they kind of bring all this out in her character. And I hope that when we move forward to this third season, God, I can't believe it's probably, a, it's at least a year away, we see more of that. The kids are growing. Let's hope that their acting skills continue to grow because, you know, a lot of times when you have kid actors, they really don't grow into their characters too well sometimes but so far these guys are doing it pretty good and it's a great idea that they're introducing new characters in the mix and these aren't just random characters left and right you know a lot of them not all of them but a lot of them they're very relevant into the dna of the show which is the the, you know the retro 80s type of feel to it they did a great job i can't wait to see it the music was awesome again once again you have a whole new soundtrack not only the original music which is that synth pop 80s synth pop stuff that i love but your traditional 80s 
kind of theme songs that are all over, you know, rock and dance music and that kind of thing. This is a great one. So this wraps up our list of three best shows, according to me, of course, that you guys should be watching right now. We interrupt this broadcast to bring you a special news bulletin direct via satellite from our on-the-spot task force. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? Thank you, Bob. It's Mort. Mort, yes. I am Ted Baxter, and here is the news. Well, in all of the busyness of covering so many diverse topics in our show, we completely forgot uh, something that is very special to us, and that is our anniversary. Uh, by that, I'm talking about the show's anniversary, um, which also coincides with my wedding anniversary. Uh, and I just realized that. <laughs> well, uh, well, our show premiered, the show that you're listening to right now, Geek Fest Rants, back in September 23rd, 2010. Wow, so we hit seven years now. That's amazing. Um, I've done shows in the past, uh, you know, where we do mention our anniversaries, or we even did a show very, very long time ago about how the show was put together. Uh, and some things have changed. Um, some of the names have come and gone of the participants of the show. Uh, but the general structure of the show remains the same in terms of trying to cover all of this geeky, nerdy stuff that we love um, and being able to share it with everybody else to, you know, Kind of, uh, you know, it's it, the 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 format is kind of like being able to sit and overhear a conversation uh, of a very nerdy, nerdy nature, uh, and hopefully getting some of the facts right, and maybe you could even learn something that you didn't know before. And that's how a lot of these conversations used to go. We used to get together as groups of friends, and people would have information that we never knew before. Uh, and he's like, did you know that so-and-so worked in this movie and that the reason why he left to do this one was because, you know, that kind of stuff. Well, as I mentioned before, the show started off um, a very long time ago as a means to be able to have these conversations and, and to be able to let others from our group primarily uh, participate in these conversations that at the time we were only able to have very limited times, maybe once or twice a year, because this was, you know, obviously post-college, and the group of friends that we had at the time, um, you know, we would only be able to see each other limited times a year. Um, now it's very much different. Now we practically don't ever see them anymore uh, because of a combination of things, including, you know, I now live in Florida. I no longer live in the New York, uh, New Jersey, tri-state area. Um and the idea of a podcast came about because I had gotten an iPod uh, as a result of, oh my goodness, let me think about this for a minute. I had gotten some kind of a work-related uh, prize, uh, money, some kind of a some kind of a bonusy type of situation where I they gave me uh, X amount of money to be able to use, I think probably an Amazon or something. And at the time, I, you know, I had started hearing about podcasts and I started, 
you know, to researching and what was it all about. And obviously the first thing you needed is somewhere to play these podcasts because there were so many Star Wars-y things happening within the podcast world. You know, this is uh, 2008 uh, we're talking about. This is probably 2007 or 2008 we're talking about. And podcasting had become, uh, you know, uh, this hot new thing that was kind of bubbling up. And people, you know, people were carrying their MP3 players, their their iPods. Um, and within the iPods, you could store these podcasts too. Well, I started listening to a couple of Star Wars podcasts and then some other types of podcasts. You know, I, I started grabbing a lot of different things. I was using my iPod uh, as a DVR, basically, because uh, I was recording so many different shows and listening to them. And there was a certain thing that you developed with these shows, um, a connectivity. And it's a connectivity that is so uh, uh, prevalent when it comes to genre people, uh, sci-fi people, horror, you know, people that are into conventions, that sort of thing. And it is that same effect, that same um, pitfall at times of feeling like you're part of a community to the point where you want to contribute and you want your own voice being heard. Um, I've mentioned it before. There are cases, I know I'm very familiar with some of them, where the individuals will take ownership um, of certain subjects, certain topics, and they, um, and they connect so much to these specific topics that they are the go-to person. So whenever you have a conversation with someone else or you do a show uh, about that topic without this person, that person might get their feelings hurt <laughs> because it is part of that nature of the, uh, of, you know, the, the, the genre of the geeky genre, nerdy stuff that we do. You know, if you're into Star Wars, you're the Star Wars guy. If you're into Star Trek, you're the Star Trek guy. If you're into comics, you're the comics guys. You know, if you're into Doctor Who, you're that guy. And, uh, there is a, 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 a very direct connection that you start to form. At least at first, I remember when I was listening to these shows where it was like, wow, this is great. You know, nobody, not a lot of people know about it. It's kind of like your thing. The, the listeners to that particular show that you would be listening to would be kind of small at times and the shows would grow and grow and grow. And now some of them are gigantic. Um, so I already had it kind of ingrained in me for a little bit that this is something new. This is something that I am enjoying. Um, and... Wouldn't it be cool if I did something like this? And I, I, at the same time, it kind of came together with this um, want, this desire for myself and some other individuals, uh, you know, to be able to have more of these get-togethers that we were having. You know, just a bunch of college, post-college guys, uh, way post, because we're talking about uh, maybe 10, 15 years after we had already left college. Um, to be able to do, you know, these shows, when we get together, we'll, we would talk about certain topics, or heck, we would get together just to have these conversations. Uh, maybe we could figure out a way of people doing it, you know, from long distances. And if you missed a gathering, you could just listen to the show and say, hey, listen, we, we, we got together and we talked about blah, blah, blah. And then you get to hear everybody talking about it, um, you know. So it was a very kind of um, loose format that we were working with. At first... Um, we were dealing, and for a very long time, with single topics uh, and no particular time frame. Uh, you know, our first episode was way shorter than our typical episodes. And, and the, you know, the, the duration changed throughout the time. Um, 
the format of the website in terms of what the website looked like, my wife had a lot to do with that, Kim. Uh, she uh, helped me design uh, the website and the different incarnations of the website because, you know, we had different art uh, associated and different placement of materials on the website. Um, and the name was something that, uh, you know, was one of the first things that we had approached as to, you know, okay, we need, obviously you need a name. And since uh, myself and my other uh, friend at the time, who was who was really uh, instrumental in 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 coming up with the name, um, we went back to these gatherings. You know, the the whole point of this was the gatherings that we would have, and the gatherings throughout the years had kind of developed a name on their own called Geek Fest, which was supposed to be just a couple of college guys getting together, talking about all the nerdy, geeky stuff, watching all these videos. Watching all these DVDs, laser discs at the time, um, a lot of bootleg material, a lot of stuff that would be purchased, uh, you know, on VHS at conventions, um, through news groups. Uh, not even, uh, you know, back then we were still buying stuff, you know, in that manner. The the internet when we first started college was in its infancy, so not until the uh, afterwards that, that were we able then to kind of modify it through the years to just kind of grab stuff right off the internet and be able to watch it in that manner. Uh, but back then we did have a lot of stuff still on VHS that we were watching. Um, so that's kind of how, that's kind of how the name came about, the, the actual Geek Fest Brand's name came about. The Geek Fest part came from those gatherings that we would have with our friends. So at first, the majority of the episodes I did uh, were with Steve. This is a college friend of mine um, that you know we we initiated these episodes. Um, the goal always was to include everybody, the entire group. Which we had, we had around five or six people. Like let's see, we had there was uh, Steve, the other Steve, Tony, Brian, and Rob. Right, that was the original group, uh, but in, but off the bat, it was almost impossible to get the entire group together. Um, the majority of the episodes that I did in the first few years were with uh, Steve, uh, and occasionally I would ab- I was able to bring in uh, some new people who would come in, and not necessarily do too many shows, but come in and do a couple of one shots here or there. Um, I know Zeke did some, Tom did some, um, Mike did some. You know, we had a whole bunch of different uh, hosts. Uh, co-host at the time um but but it usually was pretty strong between steve and myself uh then i started in, then i started bringing in another friend of mine from from college also from college but kind of from a separate group um he was more like a one-man band in terms of you know he 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 operated better by himself let's put it that way um james who who you guys probably heard on many many episodes and we, you know, we also did one-on-one shows, many, many one-on-one shows. Now, little by little, um, the original group uh, started to participate less and less uh, with the show. Uh, again, they were not part of that initial, you know, brain trust of putting the show together. Uh, it became more of a, well, if we happen to be there, we'll participate. You know, if we're not, then whatever, it doesn't matter. Uh, obviously, they didn't have the interest um, that I had, or at least at some point my f- other friend Steve had. Um, now, at the same time, when you're dealing with, uh, I don't want to call them A-type personalities, but a specific type of personality, let's call it that way. Um, I also couldn't put 
some of these people in the same room. For example, uh, my friend James and my other friend Steve would not participate on each other's shows. So I would always work with them individual and not uh, all at the same time. That would not happen. Uh, <laughs> some of these guys, you know, they, not only would they not hear each other's shows, not only, would, not only would they not participate in each other's shows, they would not listen to each other's shows. And some of them wouldn't, and some of them wouldn't listen to anything unless they participated on themselves, uh, period. Um, so, again, uh, the show um, from the start was becoming a one-man band, which was difficult, uh, and at times it continues to be difficult. Uh, you know, when you listen to other shows and you hear about how many other participants you have and how many other um, different uh, contributors you have, it kind of seems like it is a lot easier to do it that way because then you, you don't have to do all the heavy lifting. But... For a very long time, we were able to keep that up. Sometimes we would get together with the big group. We would even do commentaries. We did commentaries for a, for a very long time. And some people seemed to enjoy those. I wasn't, you know, that crazy about them. They were te technically a little difficult to do and also difficult to edit at times. Um, but it worked out. We kept going with it. Um, and we also did, the, you know, the standalone shows, th those type of shows. Sometimes we did two-part shows. You know, we did one-part shows. We did all kinds of different shows. Uh, on remote shows, we started doing stuff over the phone. The phone technology got even better. We did Skype for a while. That wasn't a fan of that at the time. I must, I'm told it's a lot better now, too. And throughout the years, we were because we were living up in New Jersey in the tri-state area, we were able to go to New York Comic Con a couple of times uh, to promote our show. Uh, sometimes uh, we got free passes as press sometimes we didn't we attended other conventions you know to promote our show too we got free passes sometimes we didn't you know that sort of thing so we did uh, so we were able to kind of uh, you know run around with the show for a while um you know in different with, with different people associated and that sort of thing um now as i mentioned earlier the show as time went on you know people started dropping out not no longer interested not wanting to participate um, even the get-togethers we were having, um, you know, people were asking not to, let's not record, you know, let's not take whatever, half hour to talk about one specific subject, let's say. Uh, this They wanted to just avoid that altogether. So little by little, we kind of got away from, you know, doing the group recordings um, uh, as a regular thing uh, because some of the people were not interested and then eventually most of them were not interested. Um you know, I tried to continue, you know, I continued with the, with the singles. I continued with the single, you know, one-on-one -on -one type of uh, shows for a while. When I came to Florida, things changed a little bit. I had to take a, a, a slight, I had to take a slight break for, for medical reasons. Um, and then when I continued, when I picked it up again, you know, it was down to two people, um, Steve and James as the co, you know, the, the lead, the co-leads, basically, you know, whenever, you know, any of them would have the time. And for different and similar reasons, you know, little by little, they also dropped out of the show, uh, which left me, which left me with just myself, you know, putting together this show. And I started, you know, posting uh, advertisements about, you know, if I was looking for co-hosts and that sort of thing. And I have been, you know, putting them out there. And there have been a couple of uh, replies here or there. Nothing too crazy. Um, but then at the same time, I started communicating with another podcaster that, 
you know, he said some nice things about my show. I said some nice things about his show. We started a, uh, we started a, a, a line of communication and, you know, we really started uh, to listen to some of each other's shows and it was like, wow, this is, you know, the, our interests are very similar. Um, however, he was also one of these one-man bands primarily uh, in terms of how he puts his show together. And yeah, the way that he puts his show together, I kind of enjoyed his format in terms of being able to not kind of you know pigeonholing yourself into having to sit there and talk for one whole hour or more about one specific subject. He had multiple subjects that he would hit during his show. And that's something that started to interest me. And I was like, well, wait a minute, this might be something good because I can then um, diversify my subjects and not have to, you know, slave over you know an hour's worth of data having to do with one subject so i can now kind of talk for a few minutes maybe i can talk about 15 minutes about a subject another 15 minutes about another subject and if another subject needs more time we go for a half hour or whatever and then we cobble together a show like that and that is kind of like the format we're dealing with right now i have since also joined a network that this other person has started uh, through his show, the IC Robot show that he does on his own. He's got a whole bunch of other shows that are associated with his show. But we cross-promote each other and hopefully uh, help to share in our audience to, to, to get to know each other's shows and similar interests. And that seems to be working out pretty well, you know. He does have some interesting shows, depending on what you're interested in. You know, if you're more of a comic book person, he's got something for that. If you're just a general, you know, genre person like myself, you have the Toys R Us report that he does. So there is a little bit of, of, of different things. He does have other people also uh, jumping on this network system. So it's a small little network, and that's why you hear in the beginning of our show, the, the little tag in the beginning announcing that we're part of this network. Now, don't get me wrong, um, when, in my opinion, obviously, when you're dealing with multiple hosts, it makes it a lot easier uh, to, be, to be able to talk and rest and let the other person talk more and less and that sort of thing. So it is, it is good to do it that way. Uh, but there is a certain amount of freedom and um, time saving also that helps you when you're not dealing with another person because getting together and being able to synchronize everybody's schedules now, granted, we're all in the same time zone here. Um, our friends at Icy Robots, they're on the West Coast, so they're completely in a different <laughs> different time zones. But even when I was dealing with my local people here or in Jersey, um, it was nearly impossible trying to get everybody uh, or even just one person to be able to figure out, okay, uh, are you available at this time? No, I'm not available at that time. I'm only available here. I'm only available here, you know. With, with, with some people would only be available like after midnight. Some people would only be available for 30 minutes uh, on a certain day. You know, it was very, very difficult uh, to do it that way. And obviously, if the interest is not there, the effort is not there. So it kind of, you know, it, it falls kind of by in that, in that, it kind of falls in that direction. You know, it, it all lines up like that. The less interested you become, the less... Uh, willing that you are to participate, obviously. So you do not make the time that, you know, is required to be able to put this thing together. So it does help me somewise time-wise to be able to put the show, you know, together completely by myself. As to the future of the show, who the heck knows? 
you know, I try to keep up as much as possible. I try to do the weekly show as much as possible. Sometimes it ends up being every two weeks, you know, depending on what's happening in my life. Um, I do remember, and again, from those earlier days when I had the time to even listen to other shows um, religiously, um, you know, from beginning to end, uh, that you do form this relationship with the show, whatever show it is that you're listening to. Um, some shows I was able to start and end the shows because the shows ended. Um, some of these shows ended because it was the end of whatever it is that they were covering. There was a Battlestar Galactica show I used to listen to. Uh, there was a couple of them, actually. There was an official one by, by Ron Moore, which obviously when the show ended, the show ended. The, the sh when the show ended, the podcast ended. And then there was uh, like a fan-made one with a couple, of, a couple of friends who would just sit down and talk about the show. Uh, and same thing, that show also ended. But it was interesting to hear the dynamic every week of those four individuals or three individuals. I don't remember exactly how many there were. And even in some of the Star Wars shows that I used to listen to that I can barely get my hands on these days because it's just so difficult, again, to find the time. You know, when you have a long commute, that used to help a lot because a long commute, you can listen to an hour-long show either, you know, each way. I would have to, I remember I would have to load my iPod with so much material because there was a point where I was commuting to work at least an hour and a half each way. So... That's at least three hours a day of just listening to podcasts. Uh, it, and, you know, it, it was a way of just passing the time and it, it was fun. You know, it made the commute uh, uh, as horrible as it was, just a little less <laughs> less horrific. But, um, yeah, I mean, I used to listen to, let's see, Star Wars Action News. I used to listen to uh, Force.net that then became Rebel Force Radio, uh, The Chivecast, all these other Star Wars shows that I, you know, I, I, I still wish I could just jump on them again, but I cannot find the time. Um, and, and, and that's one of the things is that you start to find, you start to make this connection. It's a, it's a psychological thing uh, with these shows. Um, and... You know, you, you, you get involved not only in the stories, but whenever they start telling you personal things about themselves, the host or the participants, you know, it's almost like you're watching a reality show. It's like you're, 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 you're almost their friend from a very far, far <laughs> distance, uh, you know, location. Um, but you're not. <laughs> That's the bottom line that you're not. You're, you're getting a peek into somebody's life, but you're not really participating in them. Uh, which is a weird scenario. It's kind of like going to a party and overhearing this great conversation, but not being allowed to participate in that conversation. That's what makes it kind of weird. Um, however, if all you're interested is in the subject matter that they're talking about, and you want to just extrapolate information from there, that's great, perfect. Uh, but the, but you do remember, but you have to remember that with podcasts, you do have that component, that that reality component almost of uh, being able to hear people's opinions and sometimes personal information, you know, uh, about their lives and and their experiences with whatever genre material is that you happen to be, you know, listen to, listening to about. Now, on the other hand, um, there were other podcasts I used to listen to, which. After a while, you'd kind of just kind of give up on them because you realize, wait a minute, I, I don't think I like this anymore. <laughs> I used to listen to a lot of comedy podcasts, uh, a lot of, uh, you know, in the last, I don't know, 10 years or more, uh, a lot of um, comedians, you know, who would um, not have too much work on their hands would go the podcast route. This way they can kind of keep a narrative going uh, with their audience. And one of the ones I used to listen to, 
religiously for, a, for, for quite a while was Adam Carolla. And Adam Carolla is kind of like, um, from what, again, I don't know if he's changed. He might be a different person. I doubt it very much. But he's kind of like a, um, a, real, a, a really annoying uncle that you might have that, that politically and socially is in the opposite end of your spectrum. But he's very funny, so you kind of put up with his stuff. Uh, but again, I used to listen to Corolla. I loved him. He was great. He was so funny. But unfortunately, underneath all that funniness, uh, there was uh, an aura of, uh, let's just put it this way, politically, he should be in heaven right now with what's happening, you know, politically. Um, but you might have people like that in your life. You might have uh, relatives or friends that you normally don't talk politics because you know if you start scratching, you know, that political um, skin, you're going to find some things you don't want to know. And that's what happened with Corolla. And now it has nothing to do with politics. It didn't have anything to do with politics when I stopped listening to him. I remember he had this thing where he fired somebody. And his explanation for firing that person and their explanation for being fired, to me, made no sense at all. And it kind of started to turn me off to his, you know, manner of how he was operating. Now, granted, he was still a funny guy. You know, his show was still funny. Uh, but you got to remember, his show wasn't just a product. He wasn't just talking about a product. His show is his life. And when you start to kind of get to that point where you start to really see into somebody's inner thoughts and stuff and, and that kind of thing, that's when I had to step away. And I mean, that could happen, obviously, even here, you know. Granted, I don't really get too, too personal, uh, you know, when I talked about, um, you know, genre material. Um, but on an episode like this one, you know, where I'm giving you some of the, you know, how the sausage is made when it comes to the show, um, you might have a similar reaction. Um, and that's something that I, I, I love, you know, sometimes trying to listen to is these shows that I, I, I'm really into, uh, or I used to be into, every now and then you would get that peak you know, behind the curtain of how it was, how the show was produced and how the um, intricacies and the dynamics of the different people involved and how they all kind of work with each other. You know, I, that was something that used to interest me a lot. And whenever they would do that in any show, I would, I would love it because then you start to kind of get the big picture. The bottom line <laughs> is that just like anything else, and, I'm, and I've learned that uh, the hard way, in a way, um, is that we all have our genre um, likes and, and, you know, we are all fanboys about something. We all just absolutely fall in love with some kind of genre material. Um, but it is also healthy to keep a distance between yourself and that material. Uh, because a lot of times you're going to find that the things that we admire the most, if you really look at how they're made, uh, it's not pretty sometimes. It's just not pretty. There's a lot of uh, frustration and pain and tears and, you know, um, fights that are involved in putting out a product that at the end looks great. But if people knew what it took for it to get to that stage, uh, it, that's a whole other that's a whole other show, <laughs> you know. Uh, so that also is true, you know. Sometimes in careers, you know, you you want to um, pursue a career. Let's say 
you know, if you're a genre person and let's say you're in your teens and you're saying to yourself, all right, well, you know, when I finish high school, I want to study something so I could do, you know, this or that, whatever. Want to be a filmmaker? You want to be a director, a writer, you know, a special effects person, a, a musician, whatever. Yes, the end product is fantastic. Don't get me wrong, because that's what you've fallen in love with your, your entire life. You're always watching the at the end product. Whether you're a toy collector, you're a few, somebody who watches films, you're looking at the end product. But once you start reading, if they are available, those making of books, and the type of books that give you an honest perspective of what's going on behind the scenes, it is so amazing that these things ever make it all the way to fruition because there are so many problems associated with. You can read making of Star Wars books, and my goodness, there's so many of them. There's some really good big ones out there, and currently there are not that many of them from the current movies because they seem to be kind of keeping the lid on the behind-the-scenes shenanigans that take place. They, you know, Disney has a different animal, and they keep a tighter lid on these things. Um, you know, all those Rindler books that we were hoping to get, they're all being pretty much canceled um, because, you know, the di they've distanced themselves too much, you know, because it's too current right now, you know, for people, I guess, to be able to read about that sort of thing. Rinsler, after he was let go, he started a blog uh, that was very interesting because he was kind of telling uh, some stories that, uh, you know, people wanted to read uh, about, you know, Lucasfilm and all that stuff. And just as he got closer and closer to the end of his blog, it shut down unexpectedly. And it's obvious that somebody told him to stop, threatened, or paid him. <laughs> One of those two things must have happened because uh, it all just kind of came down fast. Um, but again, like I said, um, when you peek behind the curtain, everything is not as glossy as it is when you watch it on the screen. Anyway, the future of the show, I really can't tell you where it's going to go um, because I really don't have a plan. Uh, the plan is basically uh, to continue putting out these shows, uh, hopefully uh, being able to have some people participate. I'm still in the process of, of you know, going through some possibilities, still advertising, you know, seeing if anybody wants to. Uh, I do like, like I mentioned before, doing these solo shows in a way because of the fact that it gives me so much flexibility in subjects and time. Time is something that's very important. And the thing that I've done that I don't know if you've noticed is that this particular segment on the making of the show, our seventh anniversary, um, I have not edited the show. I have not edited this segment. I might have tightened it to make it a little faster to, you know, delete some of the dead air. But all the mistakes, all the retakes, all the little things that uh, normally I would edit out, the ums and uhs and, you know, the, the repetitive words, repetitive words, repetitive words, that kind of thing. It's all in it. Just so you get a feel of what it's like to deal or edit something from scratch. Everything else, I promise, I will edit, you know, our other segments in the future. But this is one that you're going to get a feel of what it's like, you know, when you have uh, no editing on a segment. Well, thank you, guys. And uh, I hope to hear from you. I hope you guys uh, continue to listen to us. To See, the putting together the ending of a segment is probably one of the toughest things. <laughs> Not knowing when to shut up. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed our segment and hope to have you guys listen to us for at least another year. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed today's show. Uh, it was a little different than our usual. We had our 
favorite television show segment, which, uh, you know, we hit some of those big three ones that I'm really, really into recently. I cannot wait for them to give us more. Two of them, I am probably going to have to wait at least a year. And the other one, Star Trek, mid-season break uh, until New Year's, we'll see, start to see some new ones. And I hope you guys also enjoyed our anniversary segment. You know, not often do I let you guys uh, take a look, uh, you know, behind the curtain to see how things are made. And hope you enjoyed the uh, bizarre sounding format of practically no editing at all. The big difference in our shows uh, when we edit. I spend so much time editing these segments. It is probably the most time-consuming part of, of this whole endeavor, putting together these episodes, is the editing part. I've gotten used to the format of editing them out a lot, you know, getting rid of every little nuance about it. And part of the reason that I didn't mention, and I forgot, I completely forgot, is that at one point I was working for, let me think, Now Playing, which is an offshoot of Star Wars Action News. And I was editing for them. I was helping them edit their shows. And their format, their particular format, which is also how I got into the specific software that I use now, Audacity, which I've been using forever now, is their particular format of how they like their shows edited. And that included, you know, being able to remove every little thing so that when you're done with your piece, you have a very highly produced piece that sounds pretty clean, you know, without too many mistakes as you're talking. You know, as I mentioned uh, during the segment, removing all the ums, ums, clicks, every little thing, every repetitive word, everything, you know, you just get rid of everything. Even the, the if a breath is too high or low, if things are too noticeable, you know, we kind of tweak them a lot. So that is uh, one of the things I learned during that, that I adapted to our show. And hope you guys can uh, listen to the difference between, you know, practically doing no editing at all versus actually putting together, you know, a produced edited show. Anyway, I hope to give you guys, hopefully in the future, a couple more episodes like this as we continue with our anniversaries. And as usual, we'll have more crazy topics to go over and toys and music and comics and, you know, the good stuff. So on behalf of everybody here, I'd like to thank you and we will see you soon here at GeekFest France. Bye-bye, everybody. On Halloween night, we'll saw sort of shadow. Maybe all this is happening for a reason. These are not nightmares. It's happening. And it all leads back to here. This thing... You said it was all in his head. And what have you done? Nothing. What is wrong with my boy? I don't understand. However, what she was doing. If anyone knows how to destroy this thing, it's Will. Oh my god. Don't you think it's weird? I really seem to hang out when the world's about to end. It's not like it was before, it's grown. It's Judgment Day. Which is why we need as much help as we can get. 
animals here. If you would like to subscribe to our show, send us messages, or see video links to some of the topics we talked about today, please visit our homepage at geekfestrants.com or our YouTube channel, Facebook page, or iTunes at Geekfest Rants. I don't know what we're yelling about! Geekfest Rants is produced by Carlos Perone, copyright 2017. This broadcast is part of the IC Robots radio network. Visit icrobots.com for this and many other nerd slash nostalgia related podcasts. You won't be sorry for long.